0: We've been in First and Second Timothy these past several weeks. And in Timothy, Paul was sitting in prison when he was writing this letter, uh, this epistle to Timothy Paul was. Um, and he was, as he was sitting in this dungeon-like cell underground, he was um, thinking about the future of the gospel. His mind also dwelled upon the evil of the times and on his servant, his disciple Timothy who was both timid and weary and perhaps fearful. And so he prayed for Timothy. Timothy, he was so weak, and yet the opposition was so strong. And so I'm sure uh, Paul had some concern when he was sitting there. But of course he directed his thoughts to the Lord and wrote this letter, inspired letter to Timothy. Second Timothy. You know, sometimes we feel an increasing opposition and, and struggle um, as well, and we certainly have experienced this in the last couple of years because of the pandemic. Uh, someone said that we don't just ha- we're not just experiencing one pandemic; we're experiencing six at the same time, according to Doc Mark, Dr. Mark Turman. We have the pandemic of the disease coronavirus. We have the pandemic of distrust. In our culture or distrust of our culture with the pandemic of damage caused by the social media pandemic of disorientation in our in identity who we are pandemic of disruption to mental health and the pandemic of division in the church there have been a lot of pastors who have resigned during this time but not just pastors uh, professional uh, professionals like teachers And public servants and uh, parents have struggled. They haven't resigned, but they've struggled. And and students have struggled in this all-time anxiety, which is an epidemic. So it's been a difficult time for all of us. And it was prophesied long ago, a couple thousand years ago, when Paul was writing to Timothy... In chapter 3 said, Mark this, Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible times. The word for terrible times, if you are to look it up, come, It was used of Jesus speaking of the Gadarene demoniac, the man who was possessed by a demon in the cemetery, who was uncontrollable, who would break through his chains, and he was feared by all. And so Paul used this same word describing... The demonic graveyard of the world in in the last days, Paul then launches in to describe, give us a grim picture of what these last days will look like, and he focuses on not just the culture and the bad things that are happening but really the hardness of people 's hearts, although the heart conditions have been true in every era um, Paul said or Jesus said in the end times um, Things will occur like birth pains more rapidly, increase. So we read in verse 2 people will be lovers of themselves in these last days, lovers of money, <clears throat> boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. <clears throat> so the hallmark sin which leads to death would be the love of self. The, the The life centered on self. A man in San Diego was found dead as he walked off the side of a cliff. And a witness said that they were, uh, uh, he witnessed this happen. And and the the guy who was walking, he was just buried in his cell phone. And he happened to walk off the side of the cliff unto his death. (laughs) That's what happens when we focus on our self-interests in our selfish ambitions exclusively. We lose focus of what's going on around us and lose sight. There will be lovers of money. The greatest competitor to our allegiance to God is that of money and the things it buys, you know. Um, Jesus said, you cannot love God and love mammon or money because you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other or vice versa. You cannot, and yet that's the number one God with a small G. It's not possible to love God and Mammon. And then they'll be boastful. braggers. Again, it's a me-centeredness, especially in conversation. I talk about myself, I, you know, my own ambitions and goals. and have you ever been around people who just talk about themselves all the time? The Moody said God sends no one away empty except for those who are full of themselves. These people be proud. The proud act as though they should never be contradicted. That's the word for proud here. It's not a healthy pride, it's a sinful pride. They can never be contradicted. They demand that all other ye- others yield to their opinions. Erwin McManus, who is a long-time pastor on the radio, and I have some of his books, he said this. He learned something in his ministry, and I'm coming to learn this. He said, I have so much confidence in the reality of Jesus that I feel no pressure anymore to try to make people act or be a certain way. I'm banking everything on the fact that it is God who changes people. And I'm learning that too, you know, Um, Man, when I was a young pastor, it drove me nuts when people didn't see things my way and I'd argue and and I'm just, I've realized through experience, I can't change anybody. I can't change a lick about anybody. It's the Holy Spirit who changes lives. I, I only can be faithful to do my best to preach the truth and teach the truth and live it. And decisions in the covenant church and denomination are always communally discerned. And it's based on the New Testament Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. The apostles and elders gathered together in Jerusalem with the whole church, and they decided about this Gentile issue that they had. These Gentiles were converting to the faith, and they didn't know what to do about these Gentiles. And so in verse 28, they finally came to some decisions It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. So they met together and they prayed and they sought after God's wisdom and direction. And then together they discerned. It's communal discernment. And that's what we do in the Covenant Church. That's why we have a leadership team, which is essentially our elder board. That's why we have conference leaders in the Midwest Conference, and denominational leaders. That's why once a month, once a year, we get together for an annual meeting. Delegates from every local church gather together at a place, and we hear the matters of direction and concern, and we vote together, and we, we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. Fortunately, our denomination is still centered on the Word of God, ever since the beginning, when our ancestors asked, where is it written, as they formed this new denomination? Based on God's word, and that's how we make decisions at our annual meeting, at our ch- local churches, etc. And so that's a good thing. We're not proud; we seek to be humble and communally discern together, rather than be dictator-led. Or um, the people in the end times or last days will be abusive. You know, I remember seeing MMA cage fight fights on TV many years ago, maybe 10 years ago or so, when they were introduced. And I was pretty appalled when I saw this. I mean, they're beating each other up with their bare hands, and their the mats going like this and shoving against. And I just thought, this is just, this is barbaric. Um, but now it's become a new normal, and I just won $50 on the last fight. Did I? No? <laughs> I'm kidding about that. But it's become a new normal. We've accepted it, Right? Because it's on TV and we're inundated with these fights. MMA, yeah, let's bet on that. Abusive in the last days. Uh, Disobedient to parents. The breakdown of the family is Satan's number one strategy to discredit um, Christ's church and his kingdom. Growing disregard for normalcy of family love and obligation. Instead, you know, living out of wedlock is the new norm. It's almost strange that young adults don't live together before they're they commit to marriage because it's the new normal. Um, in the last days, people will be ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. They'll be slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good. Um, this word slanderous is like, like its counterpart, conceit, conceited. Um, it means puffed up, high-minded. Uh, when we gain more and more knowledge, you know, in our Bible studies, God's word says knowledge puffs us up but it's love that builds us up. Knowledge without love is useless. Um, And that's what uh, instead we turn to conceit or slander when people disagree with us, just like in political campaigns. If someone disagrees with you, then um, they routinely seek to distort the other person's character and position. We see this readily now in every campaign. Slander and conceit. We see this on talk shows, we see this on news outlets that form us and disciple us because we watch far too much news rather than be immersed in God's word. And so we're discipled by Fox or by CNN or by whatever we watch. And that's what informs us and makes us who we are. And we listen to the slander back and forth. We all cringe when we hear... Out of the mouths of others, like coaches or teachers or parents, or sometimes even pastors, as they use shame-based language. And sometimes I'm guilty of that. And forgive me when I, when I grovel down on that level, and my frustration. These people will be without self-control. They'll be brutal lovers, not lovers of good. Rather, they'll be lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Uh, Lovers of pleasure, Um, Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In the last days, the increasing birth pains. Truth will become a lie, and lie will become the truth. People will be brutal and treacherous and rash. This describes relationships that are controlling these three words rather than a Christ-like humility in servant uh, nature, giving the people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, Instead, we make judgments on one's motives, etc. These are what these words are implying, brutal, treacherous, and rash. Jesus said, or Paul said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jesus demonstrated this by taking the role of a servant. Rather than trying to win, Jesus said, I'm here to lose Lose myself for the sake of the kingdom, and he took the lowest form of servant, and he he stunned his disciples and washed their feet, and he said, "I, I want you to do the same thing and demonstrate that type of humility, toward and grace toward one another." Um, <clears throat> having a form of godliness but denying its power. Sixty-three-year-old woman wrote to dear Abby to justify her adultery. She said, "He's married too." We meet once a week at a motel for three hours of heaven. My husband knows nothing about this, and neither does my lover's wife. And it's not as though I'm denying my husband anything either. I still meet his needs. And I teach a class at church every week, and for some reason, I don't feel any guilt. Uh, she had a form of godliness. But she denied the power of God working in and through her life through, because of her disobedience. And then Paul warns Timothy, have nothing to do with people like this, such people. He's describing, don't partner in ministry with people like this who demonstrate these types of things. He doesn't say ignore them because after all, we're here to reach them for the gospel, people who are lost. We're not here to snub our noses at people who are lost or we're here to reconcile and redeem people by the power of God. But he said, don't partner in ministry unequally yoked because in 1 Corinthians, bad company corrupts good morals. I used to tell my youth group kids all the time, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future, guaranteed. But evil is not only prominent in the world and the culture, but it crept into the households. In verse 6, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by evil desires. No one would ever live in a home with a sewage pipe that's reversed, where the sewage drains into the living room. You know, no one would ever do that. And yet we do that. Something far worse than raw sewage, and that's the sewage of our sin. You know, through the Internet and through um, Netflix and cable TV and social media. Verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. Janus and Jambres, they were um, magicians, if you will, magicians during Moses' day. When Moses was setting the people free from Egypt, uh, God instructed him to do these ten miracles and plagues. Well, these two yo-yos, they counterfeited uh, three of these plagues, They, too, turned a staff into a snake. They, too, um, produced frogs, this fake plague, and and they also turned water into blood. But then God said, enough, and he stopped their their evil powers, and they couldn't replicate any more of the plagues. And and so they were proven inferior, inferior to God's power. But that's what Satan is. Satan is the great counterfeiter. He takes that which is true and good... And he distorts it. He takes that which is love and he creates lust. He, he, creates, he takes liberty or freedom and he creates license to do whatever you want to do. He takes obedience and he distorts it into legalism. Satan takes wisdom of God and distorts it to the wisdom of the world which is lies where the truth becomes a lie. And as terrible as this world is becoming we can still have great hope though and we can still achieve abiding peace why well paul tells timothy why he says because first of all guess what sin will be exposed it will be made known all this hidden sin nine verse nine they will not get very far these false teachers as in the case of those men their folly will become clear to everyone Sometimes we see that in politics. You know, politicians who are corrupt, it becomes clear. Sometimes we see it with teachers and pastors and and parents. God reveals the truth. Sometimes I tell people, I'm going to pray that you get caught because your pathway is leading you to destruction. And they say, don't do that. Or maybe do that. I don't know. Matthew 7, Jesus said, "By, by their fruit you'll recognize them. Every tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree... Bears bad true, fruit. Every tree bears good fruit. Good tree and bad tree bears bad fruit. Um, and then, secondly, he, Paul said, "Timothy, justice will prevail." The Egyptian army looked as though they were unstoppable when they were chasing the Israelites. That is until the, they started marching through the Red Sea, which engulfed them. And drown the enemies. The giant Goliath appeared to be unbeatable until he got stoned by David. Boom. Saddam Hussein seemed like an invincible power in our world until he got trapped and captured, and then he emerged from a hole underground, looked like a frightened, emaciated animal. Justice will prevail. Pastor Adrian Rogers once said, we live in a glorious dark time. The darkness of time should make people faint, but for those who have Christ, the dark times simply remind us that all of our labor is about to be over with and all of our work will soon be done and justice will prevail. Thirdly, truth will become evident, which is similar to the folly will be exposed. While false teachers distorted the truth, for their selfish gain? Well, Paul himself displayed God's truth by his outward good fruit. He said in verse 10, You, however, Timothy, know all about my teaching. You know everything. I'm living out loud here, I'm not hiding anything. You know about my way of life, it was clear. You know about my purpose and my faith, which was the gospel. You know about my patience and my love, his motives were made clear. Paul was a walking billboard for God's truth. And we can determine a person's nature or the nature of a church by examining the fruit of their lives or its life. When truth is obeyed, there will be good fruit in ministry, as well as good fruit inwardly in the heart, the fruit of the Spirit. One will display love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When truth is not taught, there will be evidence of bad truth, not only in the heart, which is a lack of love and joy and kindness and gentleness. It'll, It'll be the opposite. And there'll be a lack of ministry fruit in a church by the members of the body of Christ. There'll be a lack of ministry presence in the community. If if the truth is not being promoted there. Well, thankfully, Lynn and I have been here 15 years and this church has been filled with fruit, internally, externally, and fruit from within. Internal fruit of ministry, external fruit of ministry, and the fruit of the spirit within. And I thank God for the many ways that you've partnered in ministry, Um, those who've been here all these years, and for those who are new, Thank you for your partnership because this is a fruitful church and we see evidence of it all over the place, which is um, significant when we're examining if we are walking uh, according to the truth. Truth will be evident. Are we a perfect church? Not by a long stretch. Are we a united church despite our differences? Yes. Are we a fruitful church? Yes. Yes. There's much evidence that Christ is alive and active at Countryside. And thank you for partnering. And then fourthly, God's strength will be available. Paul says, you know all about my endurance, my persecutions and sufferings, all these things that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. The Lord's strength was made available to Paul. And that testimony um, gave Timothy courage. So Paul encouraged Timothy to carry on in verse 14. He said, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of, Timothy. God's faithful. Students, you're in school, middle school, high school. It's hard. Peer pressure is very real. And people want you to uh, fit into their little groups that are not obedient to Christ. And it's hard to be a Christian. But hang in there. Don't cave in. Continue on. People of God, continue to serve in ministry even when it becomes inconvenient or demanding because you know it counts for eternity. Brothers and sisters, continue to forgive when you're offended even as you've been forgiven multiple times by your heavenly father. Hurting friends, continue to seek God for strength and for comfort as you walk through difficult times because God is faithful and he'll give you strength. So how do we continue to carry on in boldness? Two points, I'm done. First, remember those who invested in you. He said, continue in what you've learned because you know those from whom you've learned it and how from infancy infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's grandmother and mother, I'm sorry, Timothy's grandmother and mother invested in him. I find great strength in remembering those who believed in me and invested in me in my childhood and teenage years by their teaching, by their example, by their encouragement, my parents and my grandparents, by their prayers. My mom, who just passed away this past Thursday, and my dad, who did so four or five years ago, I serve in ministry in large part because they believed in me and they poured into me, they invested in me, they prayed for me, they taught me, they sacrificed, they made their faith their number one priority in our family's life. And as a result, all of the kids and grandkids are walking with the Lord. Who is pouring into your life? And how are you pouring into your kids' lives? I wish I could say it always turns out that way. There's a lot of great parents whose kids had the mind of their own and they go their own way for a season as prodigals. But but God will be faithful. Continue to pray. Later on, Paul invested in Timothy. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, trust reliable people. When God wants to communicate his love to us so that we carry on when we're weary... He usually uses the body of Christ. Um, Like I received some calls from people, a lot of words of encouragement this morning. Sorry about your mom. Um, We're praying for you. A lot of Facebook messages, just a lot of encouragement during a very emotional week uh, for me. Um, So thank you for being the hands and feet of God And that's how God chooses to work, through his body, you know. Sometimes he'll lead you to someone, or sometimes he'll lead people to you when you're discouraged to give the life of Christ to you. And he said, Timothy, carry on. Carry on, because I will give you strength. I will uh, remember those who invested in you. And then secondly, uh, remain immersed in God's word. Verse 16, all scriptures, God breathed, Timothy. God breathed means it's inspired. God communicates to us through his written word. The living word of God, Jesus, comes to us through his written word when we prayerfully read this. If you ever would hear the audible voice of God, he would say something that's already recorded in here. Such as from Matthew 6, he'd say, my child... I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body, what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look out the window. Look at the birds in the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store away in burns, and yet your heavenly Father, he takes care of them and feeds them. And are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? That's one of thousands of promises and words of comfort that were offered. The ECC believes that God's word is the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. We, were, we always ask, where is it written? The word of God is authoritative, reliable, and true. It's filled with prophecy, poetry, and history. History means it's his story, history. A little boy opened a big family Bible at home, and, uh, and something fell out of the big family Bible and and he was stunned. And mom said, "What do you got there?" He, and it was a big big leaf that was pressed between the pages. Mama, look what I found. What have you got there, dear? With astonishment, the boy said, "I think it's Adam's underwear." Um. We do believe that history is real in the Bible. I'm not sure that was Adam's underwear, but uh, and then finally, all scriptures useful for teaching rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work I end with this illustration the Bible is like a GPS on our phone when we're traveling how did we ever get by without these things you know hey get the map out of the glove compartment dear like (laughs) Uh, the Bible is useful for teaching what is right Like a GPS, the Bible shows us our destination in our spiritual journey and what it takes to get there. Second, the Bible is useful for rebuking us. What is not right? Like a GPS, the Bible tells us where we've made a wrong turn in our life, in our spiritual journey. And sometimes it's convicting and it rebukes us. Thirdly, the Bible is useful for correcting us um, how to get right again. Like a GPS, it not only points out where we went wrong, but it redirects us back on the right track on our spiritual journey. You know, the Romans 8.28 thing. And then finally, the Bible is useful for training in righteousness, how to stay right. Like a GPS, the Bible warns us of trouble ahead, like a bridge out or accident ahead, and it offers a better route to our destination so that we get there safely safely. So that's what the Bible is. Uh, And we just, uh, I just want to close in prayer, I guess, because of time. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you speak to us through your word, that you continue to give us hope and strength uh, to carry on when we're wayward, when we are weary, when we're timid when we don't have the strength to go on, Lord, uh, you meet us right where we are. And thank you for your written word and for the living word of Jesus who met us there this morning. Lord, where we need to be corrected and rebuked, then do so. Where we need to be encouraged, do so. Um, Where we need to be directed or redirected, do so, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here to worship you and to hear from you. Amen.